Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, thank you for joining too. (laughs) We uh, ask you to bless this meeting today. And uh, thank you so much for the goodness that you're showing us through this revelation today. Your kindness towards us. Your love towards us. Thank you so much, Father. We, uh, We believe it. We thank you so much. Amen. All right. I'm going to... We're going to call this Love and Protection in the Truth. Amen. And the first revelation we're going to share is Walking to Sanctification and Revival. Samuel Fire. My wife, our son, and I were walking through a park. The fires represent a young family in the Lord in this dream resting in the park. I was near I was neatly set up with a children's playground and pathways around the green grass and bushy trees. The park represents uh, denominations where new baby Christians often start on their path with Jesus. And uh you know Peter said that all flesh is as grass. So the apostate churches don't teach new believers that they have authority to walk or have dominion over the flesh and to conquer the flesh as their promised land. Um, Samuel went on in distance. He said, In the distance I saw a dark-skinned guy, and he was acting very suspicious. The dark-skinned guy represents the old man or our enemies who walk in darkness. And uh, Tiana didn't feel right about him and wanted to hide from him. And while quickly escaping so that he didn't see us, Tiana accidentally dropped a winning lottery ticket. In the, Well, of course, is, which is a great provision, right? Okay. So uh, he, he goes on, In childlike faith, we all start out seeking God and looking for the real Jesus, going through different church ministries or denominations or whatever. Well, these new believers are scared to face the old man and don't realize that everything has already been provided for. And there is no hiding from our sinful carnal nature uh, or in persecutors either. They must be uh, conquered through faith. Um, he went on to say, I was concerned, but I thought and prayed that no one would find it and we would get it when the dark-skinned man left the area. True. That's when you get it, is when the old man is gone, right? Whether he be... Uh, there to persecute you or whether he be your flesh, you know. Well, we ran to a hotel-like building and tried to go through one of the doors. 
And I said to Tiana, no, not that one. Someone's in there. And when we were going to the next door, I heard someone say, hello. And the next door we tried was vacant, and we went in. We hid it in there, and Tiana was constantly checking out the window to see if the dark-skinned man was out there. Well, we need to cast down any fear of the old man and uh, live in faith that he is dead. As far as our enemies, it's the same thing. They are there to persecute, crucify, whatever, you know. And when their job is finished, they'll be gone. And suddenly a door adjoining a room to ours opened and an elderly lady came in. Well, we know that Jesus is the door to the sheepfold, right? And uh, the elderly lady here represents the original church and the true gospel. Uh, 1 Timothy 1 and 5 says, Having been reminded of the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. And uh, back to his text, he said, John ten seven through 9. Jesus therefore said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and go out, and shall find pasture. And First John 2.24 As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. That is, of course, straight out of the Word, right? If that which you heard from the beginning abide in you, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. And also Second John 1 and 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote to thee a new commandment, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. So, uh, he says, the elderly lady asked if we were okay and if she could help us. Uh, we were so thankful. She provided new clothes for our family. Clothing represents our works, right? Like in Isaiah 61 and 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with a garland, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. He went on to say, We were no longer trying to hide from the old man, and now we were working for the king with our new works of faith. So we left and uh, ran uh, to the spot where we had dropped the lottery ticket, and they picked it up. Ephesians 2 and 20, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. The word of the Lord in us is Christ in us. Uh, if you're learning from a religion, they don't tend to stick with the word, and you're not sure to have Christ in you, the real Jesus in you, right? We then continued our walk over to David and Michael's house. 
And he has here, uh, UBM provides unleavened bread of truth. That's because we learned not to add to or take away from the word, right? So let me say that uh, David represents the man-child here and Michael, those who are like God, because that's what his name means, who is like God. Who else would be able to stay around the man-child, right? But those kind of people. And when we walk in the original unfeigned faith, our walk leads us to the true Jesus that has the unleavened bread of truth. He said when we arrived, a lady was uh, talking with David and Michael about some help she needed. Uh, and he has there many members of the true church are coming out of apostasy. True, true. We thank you, Father, for that. David then said, uh, just ask Samuel. He can help you with that. Samuel in Hebrew means heard of God. I was uh, shocked and had no idea what the discussion was about, but I was eager to help. David, Michael, and Tiana, and our son, then started on something else. The lady was kind and needed something that was simple and easy to do based on the skills that God had gifted me with. I told Tiana I had to go out and purchase an item for her, and then I would come back. The lady then went to join the others, and they were beginning a praise and worship meeting on Zoom. After I purchased the item to help the lady and and altered it with my hands, it was complete and ready to go. I then started working on the engine and some things in our car, which was not the same as our car in the natural, but was instead an American muscle car. It wasn't starting properly, uh, and he says the church needs to be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, and this will happen when revival starts. I kept doing things under the hood and in the engine bay and then going to start it over and over, getting it right, right? Uh, And he says, ministering to the church who needs a renewed mind and a new heart. Very true, very true. That's why we need to spend time in the Word. Because many start out with self-works to fix their own vessels, but we, we must rest in God and learn to rely on the unfeigned faith of God instead. Amen? Then I felt by faith to lay hands on it and said, All is done. Jesus has healed and blessed you, Carr, and I and my family love you and delight in you. You're blessed in Jesus' name. Then by faith I closed the hood, washed up, and changed my shirt, jumped in and started it up. It was so powerful that the car was shaking like it had a thousand horsepower engine in it. Well, let me say that there is a lot more power in faith in the gospel than self-works. And uh, the church is full of self-works because they haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge to cooperate. Romans 4 and 16 says, excuse me, 1 and 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. 
Another revelation that was given to Tiana Fire, 318.23, the body helps each other. Yes, we are knit together to be a one body. She said there was much more to this dream, but this is all I remember. I dreamed that Michael and David were going to move into a new house and all the brethren were helping them to prepare for the move. Well, she has representing moving into a man-child anointing. She said the UBM brethren were all gathering in a large building that was designed kind of like a barn, but it had a, which is, of course, for uh, raising, right, crops, so on and so forth. But it had a part that was like a house and a giant area for everyone to gather. Michael and David were staying there until they completely moved into the next house. All right, John 14 and 2 through 3. In the house of my father are many abodes. If not so, I would have told you, for I am going to prepare you a place. And if I go and prepare a place, I come again, and I will receive you unto myself. There where I am, you be also. Amen. That's the N-E-N-T. Michael and David moving into houses represents the godly and the man-child moving into more freedom and anointing. Amen. The house uh, Michael and David were about to move into was on a large amount of land that had a big open area like a prairie, but the rest of the land was forest. Well, that's significant. Isaiah 32 and 15 says, Until the Spirit be poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness become a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. That's a pretty fruitful field, right? The uh, separation between the wicked and the righteous represented by the prairie and the trees. Uh, Psalm 1, 3 through 5 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also doth not wither. And uh, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff, which is the wind, which is, uh, which the wind driveth away. Yes, the chaff is light. It's the outer man, the outer husk that you don't need. And the wind, representing the spirit, drives it away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Judgment is coming. The Lord's told us that many times. And he also has told us over and over and over that he's going to take out the wicked. Uh, Let's see, going on. The house was located at the back of the open grass area near the forest, and included at the front of this property was an apartment building. The property was previously owned by a very wealthy person that I felt was part of the deep state, but God had given him grace to repent, and he had come out of darkness and gave away all of his physical things for free to God's elect. Yes, there will be many people coming out from under the deep state. 
in these days and coming into uh, Christ's likeness. Uh, Michael, right? Uh, Matthew 19 and 21 says that Jesus said unto him, If thou wouldest be perfect, go and sell that which thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Representing this person who had a lot of money and came into the kingdom and used it to help God's people. And First Timothy six seventeen through nineteen says, Charge them that are rich in this present world that they be not high minded, nor have their hope set on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, and that they be rich in good works, and that they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Uh, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on the life which is life indeed. Yes, amen. And Proverbs 28 and 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be unpunished. Yes, there are some people that can be trusted with riches, and they're going to use it correctly, as we just read. But also, there are those that can't be trusted with it. It would just destroy them. Yeah. All the brethren kept uh, making a wide variety of sweet and savory home-cooked meals, and they would always bring at least a plate of food each time they would gather in the barn. The brethren would also make much extra food for Michael and David so that they didn't have to worry about making food. And the brethren would also clean their home and the barn and take care of all the physical things so that Michael and David could focus on the spiritual things uh, and seeking our Heavenly Father. And uh, she gives uh, Galatians 6 and 6. But let him that is taught in the word share in all good things with him that teacheth. Acts 4 and 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them said that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Yes, amen. And we're going back to that, of course. That is the standard. It's in the scriptures. And when it came time for Michael and David to move to the new house, all of the brethren helped pack everything and prepare so all Michael and David had to do was to walk to the new house. I remember thinking that maybe I should give them cookies when I went over to their new house. But I saw there were already many other plates filled with different types of cookies. And comment is uh, we need to be sensitive to our giftings and where to serve in the body and to trust the Holy Spirit's leading on our lives. Yep. Amen. It's true. We're made to do something. Amen. Prepared for it. Empowered for it. Etc. Romans 12. And I'm going to read 4 through 8. It says, For even as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we who are many uh, are one body in Christ, and severally members one of another. And having gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, or ministry, to let us give ourselves to our ministry. Or he that teacheth to his teaching, 
or he that exhorteth to his exhorting. He that giveth, let him do it with liberality. He that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. We are to assist in any uh, way possible to the elect, especially the elders. They have been given work in the spiritual for all, and where possible, to lift the burden uh, in the physical in return. We all are in one body, in one accord of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to go 12 through 20. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Of course, the devil hates that unity, and he wants to work against it, and he wants to make divisions and strife and unforgiveness and criticism and all these things. But if you don't listen to that, because it's just faction, and uh, just be one with the brethren. That's what we've been called to be. Uh for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not of the hand, uh, I am not of the body, it is not therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, it is not, therefore, not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God said it, each member, each one of them, in the body, even as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, but one body. Amen all created for a different purpose to serve that one body. Amen? Now, this is really neat. This is called God's Love Letter. Samuel Fire gave it on 5-7-23. All glory to God, he says, an intimate message from God to you. I have sought for you, and I know all about you. Psalm 139, 10, The Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. I know when you lay down to rest and when you awake. I know your thoughts before you speak them. Psalm 139 and 2 says, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. I know where you will go. And your situation. I am familiar with what you are going through. Psalm 139.3 Thou searchest out my path and my lying down, and thou art acquainted with all my ways. You are highly valued to me. I have counted all of your hairs. You are more worthy than any other living creature. Matthew uh, 10.29-31 are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them shall fall to the ground without your father. But of you the very hairs of the head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Amen. 
I created you to be just like me. Genesis 1 and 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You are my child. Acts 17 and 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain even of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. There you go. Before I made you in the womb, I knew you and made a purpose for you. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I have appointed thee a prophet unto the nations. Yes, we're to go out and give God's word to them, right? Before I made the world, I chose you for a legacy. Ephesians 1.11 through 12. In whom also we were made a heritage foreordained according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that We be unto praise of his glory, we who had before hoped in Christ. I wrote you in my book, for you are not a mistake. Psalm 139, 15 and 16 says, My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see mine unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, even the days that were ordained for me, when I was yet there was none of them. When as of yet there was none of them. I decided where you would live, and what date and time you were born. And believe it or not, you're in the Bible code. I know I am, and the time I was born, and the time I got married, and so on, it's there. (laughs) Believe it. Uh, Acts 17 and 26, And he made of one every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed seasons and the bounds of their habitation. I formed you completely with every care, thought, and attention to every detail. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. For thou didst form my inward parts, thou didst cover me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks unto thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. I safely brought you out in perfect time at your birth. Psalm 71 and 6, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Amen. I have been misrepresented. They have a different father and do not listen to me. I speak to you truthfully and in love. John 8 41 through 44. You do the works of your father. They said unto him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. 
Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came forth and am come from God. For neither have I come of myself, but he sent me. Wherefore understand ye not my speech, because you cannot hear my word. You are of the father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a a manslayer from the beginning, and standeth not in the truth, because no truth is in him. And when he speaketh the lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father thereof. Amen. And we know these people intricately. I am never far from you. I love you, and you are welcome to me. 1 John 4 and 16. And we know and have believed the love which God hath in us. God is love. And who abideth in love abideth in God, and God abideth in him. I declare you are my child, and I will continue to shower you in love. Do not care for the world because they do not know me. I am your father. 1 John 3 and 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And we are. For this cause the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. If you know of what is good, uh, by the way, um, He that bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. That should go with that verse, I believe. He said, If you know of what is good and have had good things in the world, then receive truly good gifts from me that anything or anyone else ever could compare. Matthew 7.11 If you therefore, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in the heavens, give good things to them that ask Him? I am perfect, and I desire the same for you. Matthew 5 and 48. You therefore shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God's In the creating mode, he has the power to do it. We just agree with him, and he does it. Only everything that is good and every perfect gift comes from me. James 1 and 17. Every good giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, with whom is no variation, neither shadow cast by turning. So do not worry about anything, as I already know this. Seek and ask me, and I will provide. Matthew six thirty one through 33 Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the nations seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. I care and think of you until the furthest of you your future, to have peace and hope always. Amen.
Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope in your latter end. I love you forever and have drawn you with my everlasting pure kindness, giving myself completely with love and compassion. Jeremiah 31 and 3. The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I think of you more than all the grains of sand on the shore. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. And when I awake, I am still with thee. I am the closest, and I am the strongest. I rejoice over you with happiness, and I delight over you with singing. Yes, he is the one closest to you, and he is stronger than the enemy. Zephaniah 3 and 17, The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I promise I will not turn away from you and doing good to you. Jeremiah 32 and 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from following them to do them good. And I will put my fear in their hearts that they may not depart from me. Please hear me and be together with me. For you are special and treasured from among all people, for all the earth is mine. Exodus 19 and 5 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall you be mine own possession from among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. It is my celebration to do you good And I assure you that I desire to place you fittingly in the land. I do so with my whole heart and soul. Jeremiah 32, 41 Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Call me, and I will answer you. I will show you exceedingly magnificent things beyond your understanding. Jeremiah 33 and 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great things and difficult which thou knowest not. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, you will find me. But Deuteronomy 4 and 29, But from thence you shall seek the Lord thy God, and thou shalt find him, when thou searchest after him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Delight yourself in me, and I will give you all of your heart's desire. Psalm 37 and 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. I am the one who gave you those desires, the will and to work 
these. Philippians 2 and 13, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I am able to do more for you than you can comprehend of what you ask or think. Ephesians 3 and 20, Now to the one able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Myself and my son have established a love, comfort, and encouragement for you in everything you do. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17 Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave eternal comfort and good hope in grace, comfort your hearts and establish in every good work and word. No matter what you are going through and all your troubles, we are with you always. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 Blessed the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our affliction, that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction through the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I am with you despite the toughest of troubles and will bring you into victory. Psalm 34 and 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save us such as are of a contrite spirit. I will care for you, carry you close in my heart and lead your way with gentleness. Isaiah 40 and 11, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and shall carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those that have their young. I promise I will be there with you and wipe away all of your tears and remove all of your pain. I promise there will be no more suffering. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Lo, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall tabernacle with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The first things are gone. I love you as my son Jesus. John 17 and 23. I in them and thou in me that they may be perfected into one that the world may know that thou didst send me and lovest them even as thou lovest me. I have made known to all of my love for my son and all who love me I love as my son. John 17 and 26. And I made known to them thy name, and will make it known, that the love wherewith thou lovest me be in them, and I in them. For Jesus is the perfect image of my being, 
the ultimate representation of me in all things. Hebrews 1 and 3, who being the glory of effulgence and the very image of his substance and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification of sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Through him and his pure sacrifice reconciled us together as one, and I do not count any of your sins. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19. But all the things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Amen. In the most undeserved and gracious expression of my love to you is his death for you. First John 4 and 10. Herein is love, and not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a propitiation or a covering for our sins. I am for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. Romans eight thirty one and 32. What then shall we say unto these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Who at least spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Amen. If you desire willingly the gift of my son, Jesus, you will receive me for eternity. First John 2 and 23. Whosoever denieth the Son hath not the Father. Who confesseth the Son hath the Father also. Not anything of any kind can separate you from my love. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Accept this, and there will be great joy and an amazing celebration in heaven. Luke 15 and 7. I say unto you that thus more joy shall be in heaven over one repenting sinner than over ninety and nine righteous who need no repentance. Amen. I have always been Father in all of heaven and creation. Ephesians three fourteen and 15 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father from whom all fatherhood in heavens and on earth is named. That's his personal name, his really truly personal name, Father. Amen. They shall call me my Father. If you believe, you will be my son. John one twelve through 13 But as many as received him, to them gave he authority 
to become children of God, even to them that believe unto his name, who were begotten not of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And again, Proverbs twenty nine twenty one: He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become a son at the last. The creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. I eagerly await you with the greatest of anticipation. <laughs> Luke 15 and 20. And he arose and came unto his own father. But while he was yet afar off, his father saw him and pitied him and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him much. I love you, almighty God. Amen. All right. This is Tiana Fire, the gadget. She called it. During the women's prayer meeting, I saw a giant gadget toy that kind of looked like a puzzle, as it had so many different parts of it that connected together to make it. Only one part, the right part, could go into its specific place. No part could fit in any other part's position. The gadget was really big and heavy, and you needed at least two hands to even hold it. A few parts of the gadget were already positioned in their right spot, fitted tightly together, so they couldn't be moved. But some parts were in the wrong spot, and other parts were not fitting properly into their place because of dirt and dust. I saw the place where one part needed to go into, and this area had been cleaned so that the right part was able to click tightly into its correct spot. I guess it's very easy to understand this parable. (laughs) I felt this relates to fellowship, how we are all one body in Christ, and when we are cleaned up, we get closer to Jesus and closer to each other. We are all unique and have our specific place that God created for us to be. And although it's a different part, we are all to be connected as one. I felt that when we fellowship together and pray together in unity, the Lord cleans us up and brings us closer together as one in Christ. Amen. John 15 and 3 is what came to me uh, already You are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. And 1 John 1, 7-9 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanseth us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us, of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, here's another one from Tiana, 2022, Spiritual Safety in UBM. We had been watching some teaching videos regarding the Holy Bible uh, by someone who was speaking some truth, but not completely from the Holy Spirit. There was some leaven with it. Uh, Galatians 5 and 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. 
overall, what he was saying uh, was pointing to Jesus. And I felt to have a break from watching this video, or these videos, and I went and put on a David Eels teaching video. As I started, I then had a vision of the gates of heaven, and the golden doors opened, and I walked through, and I felt so welcome, and an overwhelming sense of a warming, comforting, loving hug as I entered in. Well, uh, let me just say, it's not man. It is the pure word. We have to learn to not depart from the sum of thy words, which is truth, right? And that's what opens to us the gates of these heavenly blessings. She went on, I felt like I was up so very high and there was nothing higher or above. People have told me similar things when they come to search out the things that we have discovered. And um, from the Word, and we usually share the Word so that people can understand that it's from the Word and not from us. Jeremiah 10 and 6 says, There is none like unto thee, O Lord. Thou art great, and thy name is great in might. And 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, Yet to us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we unto him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we through him. Amen. I was so comforted and had such peace and protection beyond anything. As the gates closed behind me, I knew I was completely safe and no evil could even touch me. There was absolute security, and I didn't want to be anywhere else. I didn't feel to look back, and I couldn't think about anything other than what I was seeing and feeling. What we must do, uh, by the way, is forsake the world, deny the old man, walk the crucified life, and we can enter into these things. I felt the Lord was saying to me that there is spiritual safety in the Unleavened Bread Ministries, revelations and teachings, and I don't need to search anywhere else. I was recently told by a sister uh, who said, who had been touched by faction from somebody we know, and she said she didn't think that Unleavened Bread Ministries was a safe place. And the reason it's not a safe place for this person is because they constantly fall back into sin. And, of course, God sanctifies the body, and he doesn't want leaven to leaven the lump. So he removes those who are leavened. So no credit goes to us here but but our Lord Jesus, who is the Word, and uh, we cannot add to it or take from it under penalty of a curse at the end of the book. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, your greatness to us. We love you so much. We enjoy listening to the revelations of your love to us and your provision for us. And uh, thank you, Father, for drawing us unto yourself, keeping us, and delivering us from all evil. Amen. All right, Michael Hare's coming, and he's going to share something with the brethren, too. And, Father, we just ask you to bless Michael Hare mightily and anoint him mightily. 
uh, and along with the rest to to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. All right. Good night. God bless you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Sure is good to be back with you again. Let's ask the Lord to help us out today. Father, I, that's what I ask. I ask that you help me out. Lead me and guide me into this uh, teaching on the resurrection life that you have given us. And uh, the quality of life depends upon our belief system and our faith. And knowing this, Lord, I ask that you be with me today and help me to get this message out that will help a lot of people. And I praise you and I glorify you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, that's what I want to talk about today is the resurrection life. You know, Christianity is a living reality. In John 10, 10, it says, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. It is the abundance of life that gives us healing, gives us strength, and it gives us energy. 1 Peter 5 Verse 7 says, Casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. And this means that in the mind of the Father, there has come a time that there is an end to worry, an end to fear, and an end to doubt. The work of the adversary, folks, has been destroyed. Exodus 23, 25, and 26 was given to the Jews under the first covenant. But it may become a living, sweet reality to us. As it says, And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall none cast her young, nor be barren in thy land, and the number of thy days I will fulfill. Well, the question bears to be asked, is our covenant now as good as that one was? Well, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 13 in Philippians 4 says, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. And then verse 11 Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. You know, we rise into the realm of the supernatural, absolute overcomers, perfect victors in Christ Jesus. And is it any wonder that Paul, at the close of the 8th chapter of Romans, declares this, he says, In verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God as unveiled in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 and verse 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things. Folks, we stand on the mountain of victory. And now we can say there's no more sickness in the body of Christ. His word is a reality in the lives of the sons of God. And we're going to go out today to destroy the works of the enemy in the bodies, minds, and the spirits of men, glory to God. 
You know, there's uh, several methods of healing. But the one that stands first in the mind of the Spirit is found in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was stricken and smitten with our diseases. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Sin and sickness are one thing in the mind of the Father. Anything that touches the man and injures the man, God is against. Disease touches the man, and God laid it on Jesus. Sin touches the man. God laid it on Jesus. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the tenth verse, he said, He hath made him sick. When he declares that by his stripes we are healed, that's that means our freedom from sickness. That's our receipt in full for a sickness and sinless life. Because sin and disease will not, shall not have dominion over us. And we take what belongs to us as sons and daughters of God. And we know that sin shall not have dominion over us. As it says in Romans 6 and 14. Because we know that the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. First John chapter 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have committed sin, we have an advocate with the Father. First John 2 verse 1 says, My little children... These things write unto you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we know that if we confess our sins, he's going to forgive us and cleanse us. First John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We come to him. With all of our diseases and sicknesses, knowing that all of those were laid on Jesus. Then, folks, it ain't right that we should be in sickness. Because the adversary has no right to put disease or sickness on you because they were laid on Christ already. So I can say to the Father, do you see what that adversary has done in my body? In the name of Jesus, I take deliverance from this thing with which Satan has put on me. Then I whisper, by his stripes I am healed. The pain has to go. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people being healed because of that. You tell yourself, by his stripes I am healed. You confess it to the Lord out loud. And then that pain has to go. Command that pain to go. And I guarantee you, it'll do it. It has to go. 
We can be just as free from diseases as we are free from bad habits, and after all, the habit of sickness is like any other unclean habit. Because there is a provision made for a perfect healing. And any no one of us needs suffer from the hand of the enemy because your deliverance is in the redemptive work of Christ. It's hard for us to understand that the laws that are governing the earth largely came into being after the fall of man and with the curse upon the earth. And it's because of this that a lot of people accuse God of the accidents that take place. of the sickness and death of loved ones, of storms and catastrophes, of earthquakes and floods that continually occur. And all of these natural laws, as we understand them, were set aside by Jesus whenever it was necessary to bless humanity. They came with the fall. And their author, of course, is Satan. And when Satan is finally eliminated from human contact or rather from the earth, those laws of his will stop functioning. Now Jesus' description of the Father and his declaration that John chapter 14 and verse 9 says, He that has seen me has seen the Father makes it impossible for us for a moment to accept the teaching that disease and sickness are of God. The Father's very nature refused the argument that he would use sickness to discipline us. Jesus plainly taught us in Luke chapter 13, and speaking of the woman with the infirmity, that disease is of the adversary. Luke thirteen sixteen, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound low these 18 years, to have been loosed from this bond on the day of the Sabbath? And if you'll read carefully, the four Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus was continually casting demons out of sick people, breaking Satan's dominion over the lives of men and women. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter tells us, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And in the Great Commission, Jesus told us in Mark 16, 17, and 18, These signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. There ain't no such thing as a separation of disease and sickness from Satan. Disease came with the fall of man. And you cannot conceive of sickness in the Garden of Eden before Adam sinned. The fall was of the adversary, the enemy. Sickness and sin have the same origin. Jesus' attitude towards sickness was an uncompromising warfare with Satan. He healed all who were sick. No one ever came to him who did not receive immediate deliverance. Jesus' attitude towards sin and his attitude towards sickness were identical. He dealt with sickness just like he dealt with demons. 
And we have been driven to the conclusion that if disease and sickness are of the devil, and we found that they are, then there is only one attitude that the believer can take in regard to them. We have to follow in Jesus' footsteps and deal with disease just like Jesus dealt with it. Now, how did God deal with disease under the first covenant? When Israel came out of Egypt, she was God's own covenant people. And as soon as that nation had crossed the Red Sea and started toward its homeland, the angel of the covenant said this to Moses in Exodus fifteen twenty six: If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will permit none of the diseases upon thee, which I have permitted upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. God did not put the diseases upon Israel, neither did he put the diseases upon the Egyptians. It is Satan, the God of this world, who has made men sick. And here the Lord declares that he's to be Israel's healer in Exodus 23, 25, and 26. And if ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee, there shall none cast her young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. He says he's going to take sickness from the midst of them. And it's a remarkable fact that as long as Israel walked in the covenant, there was no sickness among them. There's no record of any babies or young people ever having died as long as they kept the covenant. There shall none cast her young. There were to be no miscarriages nor abnormal abortions. There were to be no barren wives in the land. Every home was to have children. He said, the number of thy days I will fulfill. So that means there were to be no premature deaths. Every person was to grow to full age before he laid down his work. Folks, that's remarkable. The Lord took over that nation. He became their heater, protector, and supplier of every need. He was everything they needed. Deuteronomy seven thirteen through 15 says, And he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee, and he will also bless the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground, thy grain, and thy new wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy cattle, and the young of thy flock, in the land which he sware unto the fathers, to thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all peoples, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. So the Lord was to meet every need. He was to supply every demand of that nation, and he was to be intimately in contact with every member of the family. Everything connected with them was to bear the stamp of prosperity and success. Disease and sickness was not to be tolerated among them. Second Chronicles 16 and 11, Behold the acts of Asa, the first and last. Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. 
His disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers. Well, you can see here that the Lord was displeased with Asa for seeking the help of man when God had promised to be his healer. And if you read the Psalms carefully, you're going to find that God was Israel's healer because it's continually mentioned there. Psalms 103.3 says, Who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thine diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy desire with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. And the fact that disease came through disobedience to the law is evident. Forgiveness for the disobedience meant the healing of their bodies. And we share with him in his resurrection life. We reign as kings in the realm of this resurrection life. You are what he says you are, whether you recognize it or not. You share in all he is or did. As he was in his earth walk, you are today. As he is seated at the Father's right hand, you're there legally. After God had told Israel that the reason for disease and sickness was that they had rebelled against the word of God, condemned the counsel of the Most High, he declared in Psalms 107, verses 17 through 20, fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. They took themselves out of the protection of the covenant. And I believe it's in the plan of the Father that no believer should ever be sick, that he should live his full length of time and actually wear out and fall asleep. It's not the Father's will that we should suffer with cancer and the other dreaded diseases that bring pain and anguish. Psalm 107 verse 18 says, Their soul abhors all manner of food, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sends his word and heals them and delivers them from their destruction. You know, men were sick because of the broken laws of sinning against the word of God. Now we're talking about the Jews here. As they kept the covenant laws, no illness was among them. But when they sinned, their bodies were filled with diseases. They had a right to turn to the Lord and find their healing. And practically all the outstanding prophets had the ability to heal the sick under the first covenant. Isaiah 53 gives us a picture of what the coming Messiah was like. It's a, and it's a very graphic description. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with disease. As one from whom men hide their faith, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our sicknesses, carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This scripture has to do with the disease problem which confronts the church and the world today. 
as well as the sin problem. He has borne our sicknesses and our diseases. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted with our diseases. It was God who laid our diseases on Jesus. Isaiah 53.10 said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God made him sick with our sicknesses. He was afflicted with our disease. Now, to our sins, he said in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He dealt with man's body and with his soul and spirit. He laid our iniquities and our diseases upon Jesus. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted with our diseases and our sins. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, he's already healed you. In the mind of the Father, you are already healed. Jesus knows that he bore your diseases, and I wonder how much it hurts him to hear you talk about bearing them yourselves. So you need to learn to say, I am healed because he did that work and satisfied the Supreme Court of the universe. And that makes you free. Sin shall not lord it over you because you are a new creation. When were you healed? When Jesus defeated Satan and stripped him of his authority and and rose to the right hand of the Father, that's when you were healed. And following the temptation, Jesus went down out of the mountain and the multitudes thronged him. As it was recorded in Matthew 4 and verse 24. And the report of him went forth into all Syria and they brought unto him all that were sick holding with diverse diseases and torments, possessed with demons and epileptic and palsied, and he healed them. In every contact of Jesus with the people, he healed their sick. He didn't turn any away. Everybody was healed. And some in Christianity today will try to have us believe that there are some cases which are not the will of the Father to heal. Yet you know what? Those same people will go out and take medicine and send for a doctor when they declare it's not the will of God to heal them. Now that's that's backwards. (laughs) The fact is there aren't any cases that are not the will of the Father to heal. It's not the Father's will that any die of disease. Sickness does not belong to the body of Christ. And it ought not to be normal or natural. When Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, he meant we are united with him as closely and vitally as the branches connected to the vine. And you can understand how Jesus couldn't have cancer, couldn't have tuberculosis, pneumonia, or any of those other deadly diseases because he is the vine. And we as the branches ought not to have these things either. And it ought not to be normal for believers to be in bondage to poverty, 
so that they have to go to the world for help. And it ought not to be normal for them to go to doctors for healing either. Because the believer is of God. He has been redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. He has the very nature and life of God in him. He is the righteousness of God in Christ. And he's not only redeemed out of the hand of Satan and made a new creation, but he stands in the Father's presence without the sense of guilt or condemnation. And he has the same liberty and freedom with the Father now that he will have after death when he goes to heaven. He stands before the Father now as Jesus stood before him. The Father's love nature has taken the place of the nature of Satan in his life. And he's no longer afraid of disease or any adverse circumstances. He's not filled with fear and bondage because the Son has made him free. Perfect love has cast out fear. He is filled with the nature and life of God and God's nature is love and there's no ground for disease and sickness in the body of Christ. These new creations are the sons of God. They're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They have God dwelling in them. They have the life and nature of God and God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has made his home in their bodies. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through his Spirit that dwells in you. And in the ministry of Jesus, there was a perfect coordination between himself and the Father. Jesus' attitude toward disease and sin was the Father's attitude. He lived among the Jews, God's covenant people, and healed their diseases, breaking Satan's dominion over them individually. And when he went to the cross, he became their substitute, their sin bearer, their disease bearer. When he was nailed to that cross, Isaiah 53 became a reality. Surely he had borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And it was the hand of justice that fell on him as our substitute as he bore away our sickness and disease. Glory be to God. Now we're talking about the Great Commission, which is a real, it's very important to every believer. When Jesus was saying goodbye to the disciples, as recorded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said this, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. He said all authority had been given unto Jesus in heaven and on earth. He didn't need authority. He had always had it. And why was it given to him now that he was leaving the earth? Well, it was given to him because he was the head of the church. He was the firstborn among the dead. He was the Lord of the church. The church was to be his body. 
And he was to use that authority through the church. All the authority that had been given to him was for the benefit of the church. But most of the church has done away with the all authority part that God gave to Jesus because it has been buried buried in their lack of faith theology and creeds. And it seems that no one has been able to reach it and it's doing no one any good. The church does not know that before Jesus went away he gave it to the he gave to it that church the power of eternity of attorney to use his name. And this power of attorney gives to the believer access to that all authority. John fourteen thirteen through 14 says, Whatsoever you shall ask or demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Folks, that's not a prayer. It's the use of the name of Jesus to draw on this all authority. The book of Acts gives case after case where men tapped that all authority. Men were blessed by it. That all authority is still available to those who use the name of Jesus. Because that authority has never been withdrawn. Because if one of part of that great commission has been removed, then all of it has been set aside. If one miracle has been set aside, then all miracles have been set aside in the name of Jesus has no authority. But we know that his name was given to us for miracle working power in the gospel. Jesus said in Mark 16 and 17, in my name shall they cast out demons they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Every one of these five things are things that the adversary brings upon the church of God in the unsaved world. Five miraculous manifestations are to take place. Satan holds men in bondage, folks. He fills them with fear of poison. Satan has robbed them of their testimony so that they no longer speak in new tongues of deliverance and victory. They've been robbed of the ability to lay hands on the sick and see their loved ones recover. Why? Because sense knowledge has gained the mastery over the ministry. Jesus said that as soon as men believed on him, at once these signs should accompany them. At once they begin to cast out demons. At once they begin to speak with tongues of power. And at once they master disease. Serpents are typical of disease and demons. Mark sixteen nineteen through 20 says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. And the word that he had spoken and the word that they dared to confess was confirmed by signs that followed. God's attitude towards sin and disease has never changed. Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was opposed to sickness and disease then. And he's opposed to it right now. 
He suffered on account of sin, and his attitude towards sin now is as it was then. The seated Christ is a receipt in full for your healing. The seated Christ proves that he finished his work. And always think of Satan as the defeated one, as the one over whom you in Jesus' name have dominion. And in that name, the new creation is the master of demons and disease. And every circumstance will hold you in bondage. Folks, we have a perfect redemption, a perfect new creation, and a perfect union with Christ. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. We've got a message that brings success, health, happiness, and victory to every man. Because every man is a failure outside of Christ. We have God's solution to the home, uh, to the human problem. The living word in your lips makes you a victor, makes disease and poverty your servants. The living word in your lips brings God on the scene. It brings victory and it brings joy and success to the, the defeated. In Revelation, we see the supernatural element of Christianity in a light that the modern church has never seen. Paul's revelation begins with Jesus being made sin. It deals with what he did and what was done to him during the three days and three nights until finally he rose from the dead, carried his blood into the heavenly holy of holies and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Glory to God. And that period covers the 40 days from his crucifixion to his seating at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you know what? It deals with three major facts. What God did for us in Christ in the great substitution, what the Holy Spirit through the Word can do in us in the new creation, and what Jesus is doing for us now at the right hand of the Father. We can deal with only two phases of this work of Christ. And it's important that we fully grasp these these basic facts. Christ did not raise from the dead until he had broken Satan's dominion. And it was imperative that Satan's authority over man be broken. Christ did not raise from the dead until he had conquered the enemy. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, Who delivered us out of the authority of the darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption, the remission of our sins. He delivered us out of Satan's authority, folks. He delivered us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That is the new birth. That is recreation. And we have our redemption. Every believer has been delivered out of Satan's authority and has been translated into the family of God and has his redemption in Christ. He's redeemed. Satan has no more dominion over him. Romans 6 and 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Folks, sin is Satan. Satan shall not lord it over you. Satan has no more dominion over the believer than Pharaoh had over the children of Israel after they had crossed the Red Sea. Satan has no dominion over you. And Satan cannot put diseases upon you without your consent. And it might be a consent of ignorance, but it is a consent. Satan is defeated, he's conquered, and as far as you are concerned, that's it. 
Satan is not only conquered, but God has made you a new creation over which Satan has no dominion whatsoever. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But all these things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Those old things are the things of defeat, failure, weakness, poverty, sin, and spiritual death. We are new creations. Jesus is the head of this new creation. And he is the Lord of this new creation because he has replaced Satan. Satan no longer has dominion over you. So you don't need to fear him anymore because he has been conquered. The Spirit through the Apostle Paul gives us the position of the church. And he climaxes it in the 38th verse of Romans chapter 8. He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We have a complete and perfect redemption. This new creation has not only been declared righteous and been made righteous, but both God and Jesus declare that they are His righteousness. And righteousness means the ability to stand in the Father's presence without a sense of guilt, with the same freedom and liberty that Jesus has. Why? Because of the declaration in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, for the showing, I say, of His righteousness at this present season, that He might Himself be just and a justifier of Him that hath faith in Jesus. God has become your righteousness in Christ Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. God has made Jesus to be righteousness unto you. He doesn't stop there. He goes on in Second Corinthians 5 and 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> if language means anything then every believer stands complete in Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, In him ye are made full or complete, who is the head of all principality and power. And then John chapter 1 and verse 16, Of his fullness or completeness have we all received and grace upon grace. The believer is not a lowly beggar begging for favor. He is the son of the Most High God, an heir of God, a prince of God. And he stands in the Father's presence, unabashed, unafraid, made righteous with God's own righteousness, made free with God's own freedom. The Son has made us free. We are free in reality. Disease and sickness have no dominion over us. And we are not only redeemed, a new creation and the righteousness of God, but we are sons of God in His family. More than that, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead actually will make His home in your body when you invite Him. You may never have uh, given Him His place, or you may never have been conscious that God made His home in you, or that you had the ability of God in you. And you may have never taken advantage of the fact that your mind might be renewed to the extent that you might know the will of God in reality. 
Not only do you have God in you, but you have the name of Jesus with the authority that God gave to Jesus in it. And in that name, you can lay hands on yourself if pain comes and receive your deliverance. And in that name of Jesus, you can break the power of the adversary over your finances, over your home, over your loved one's bodies. Limitless power and authority are given to the individual members of the body of Christ. Now, perhaps the most subtle and dangerous weapons of the devil are the sense of unworthiness and the sense of lack of faith. Your worthiness, folks, is Jesus Christ, the righteous. You are the righteousness of God in him. And the sense of unworthiness is a denial of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ and of your standing in Christ and of Christ's righteousness before the Father which has been granted to you. Well, a second hindrance is that you have accepted hope and mental assent instead of faith. You never hope for a thing that you already possess. You hope for the unpossessed. When you hope for your healing, it means that you have no faith in it, but you expect to get it sometime. Hope is a beautiful delusion. Mental assent is also, that's a kindred hope of, uh, uh, of hope. Mental assent is a substitute that the adversary has given to the church today for faith. Many declare that the whole Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation, but they don't accept miracles except in isolated cases. They assent to the truth of the word, but they don't believe it. They say, yeah, I believe the Bible is true, but they never act on it. Believing is acting on the word of God. And there's no faith without action, James says. And he also said that there must be corresponding actions with our faith. He says, faith without works, and that's actions that correspond, is dead. There can be no faith without action on the word. I can assent to it and remain just as I am. I can admire it, but it's not mine. The thing that the scripture declares belongs to us. And as soon as you find out the difference between mental assent and faith, you're going to become a blessing to multitudes of people. Many have been healed when they stopped mentally assenting and acted on the word. And another enemy of faith is sense knowledge evidence. A man believes what he can see. And he's like Thomas who said, I'll not believe unless I can put my hand into his side. And then Jesus suddenly appeared and said, Reach hither thy hand and put it into my side, and be not faithless, because, but believing. Faith is giving substance to things that you have hoped for. It is a conviction of the reality of things that are not seen. Faith is changing hope into reality. Faith is acting in the face of contrary evidence. The senses declare it cannot be. But faith shouts above the turmoil. It is. Faith counts the thing done before God has acted. And that compels God's action. Because God is a faith God. Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God, so that what is seen hath not been made out of things which appear. 
And all God did at the beginning was to say, let there be. And what happened? There was. All that faith has to say is, let there be perfect quietness in this man's body and spirit, and disease must go. Faith says, let there be plenty where poverty has reigned. Let there be freedom where bondage has held sway. These things must come to pass. How many of you know healing belongs to us? Well, you say, I have prayed and prayed and I have received no benefits. I have had others pray for me and my disease goes worse and worse. Can you do anything for me? Yeah, I believe I can. Did you ever realize that healing belongs to you? That you don't have to pray for it? Well, I've never heard anything like that. Well, it's true. Let me prove it to you. Isaiah 53 and 4 says, Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What does he say he did with our diseases? I don't know as I understand it, he says. Surely he, that's Christ, hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now you understand that, don't you? Yes. Do you understand that it pleased the Lord to bruise him? He made him sick with our disease, diseases? Well, what does that mean to me? It means that these pains and afflictions that you are of suffering were already laid on Jesus. Jesus actually bore them just as he bore your sins. He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your iniquities. And the chastisement of your peace was upon him, and with his stripes you are healed. God actually laid your iniquities upon Jesus so that you don't have to bear them. Well, I never saw it like that before. You mean God actually laid my sicknesses upon him and made him sick with my diseases? Yep, that's what the word says. He made him sin with your sins that you might be the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He made him sick with your diseases that you might be the perfectly well in Christ. And it's a gift. Healing is yours now as you thank him for it. God puts your diseases on him. He bore them. He was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted with your diseases. Satan has no right to put on you what God put on Jesus. When your heart comes to know this, and as you know other facts of life, you are through with sicknesses. You can't be sick when you come to know this fact. You know it as you know that God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Then Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 in the numeric says, For sin shall not lord it over you. That's yours today. Sickness and pain are things of the past. For whom the Son sets free... Is free indeed. And if he has set you free from sin, sin has no dominion over you. And if he has set you free from disease, it cannot lord it over you. And if he has set you free from Satan, Satan has no dominion over you. And if he has set you free from circumstances, circumstances cannot lord it over you any longer. How they have held rule over us in the past. And now we belong to a new order of things. We are the masters of circumstances, of demons, of diseases. Sin and 
demons have no dominion over us. The Son has set us free because in God's sight we are free. In Jesus' sight we are free. And according to the word we are free. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Hold fast to this confection. Make it your very own. Take your place, act the part, refuse to allow Satan to have anything to do with his body that you live in. Know ye not that your body is the temple, the home, the house of God, in 1 Corinthians six, fifteen through 20. It's God's place, and you are the overseer living in it. You are to see that Satan does not trespass on God's property. Well, how am I supposed to keep him from it? Because Jesus said, in my name, you shall cast out demons. De- Jesus has given you the right to use his name. That name can break the power of disease and the power of the adversary. That name can stop disease and failure from reigning over you. There is no disease that has ever come to man which this name cannot destroy. Our confession is our faith speaking glory to God. That name and Jesus are one, just as your name is one with you. You don't have to make this liberty yours. All you have to do is to enjoy it and walk in the light of the word. Make these facts your confession. You're to tell the world that by his stripes you are healed. That disease has lost its dominion. That it can no longer lord it over you. And if we speak words of faith instead of words of doubt, We're going to be speaking God's language. Doubt words come from another source. Folks, you can't talk sickness and disease and walk in health. You can't tell folks about your disease and about your pains and moan over your troubles to get sympathy without losing your fellowship with the Lord. When we tell our troubles to people, we lose our faith and sweet fellowship with the Father. We tell people our troubles to get their sympathy. And we ought to cast our anxiety and troubles upon Him because He cares for us. And when we talk about our weakness and failure and disease, we glorify the devil that gave them to us. We glorify doctors and lawyers by taking our troubles to them. They get paid for listening to people's troubles. And that's the secret of their success, being good trouble listeners. Telling our troubles that are caused by Satan is a confession that Satan is the master and that he has gained the supremacy. It makes the troubles bigger. It makes the disease worse. And it makes us feel worse. The real confession in our lives should be of God's ability and his faithfulness. And that our troubles are being borne by Jesus just as he bore our diseases and sin. So we need to hold fast to our confession of what God is in us and what we are in Christ. Give up that confession of Satan's supremacy. You know that disease comes from the enemy. That lack of ability comes from the enemy. And all our troubles are demon-made. And if you're using demon-inspired words, don't expect to have the sweetest fellowship with heaven. It's the word of faith which we speak. Our lips are filled with the word of faith. Our hearts are singing the song of faith. John 6, 
Uh, verse 47 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes hath eternal life. And it's the believer that possesses. I believe I have, then I rejoice in my possession. I enjoy my possession. Health is my possession. Success is my possession. I have plenty because he is my supply. He meets every need of mine according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I ain't moaning or groaning. I am praising and rejoicing because faith possesses. Faith's possessions are real, just as real as Seth's possessions. Spiritual things are as real as material things. Second Corinthians 5 and 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by, by sight, because we walk in the realm of God. We not only walk by faith, but we talk by faith. We have left the realm of the senses. When you learn to talk by faith, the dominion of disease is broken over you. But just as long as you walk by reason and you follow suggestions of your senses, your feeling, seeing, tasting, touching, you're going to live and walk in the realm where disease will hold rule over your life. And pain will hold rule in your body. But if you'll learn to talk that faith talk, you're going to be a victor. Well, glory to God, I'm out of time. I hope you do start confessing a good confession with your mouth and you'll have a pleasing life with the Lord, a healthy life with the Lord, a prosperous life with the Lord. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you oh, sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
trust in you.